Well, hello, boys and girls, sports fans, assorted waves and strays. Guess who? It's Dan again from Diginomica, and today we have a very special show because we have the guys from Ockham. And if you've never heard of them, well, you're just about to hear. So let's take it away, guys. But before that, let's have a little bit of grungy music. Okay, who's on the line? One at a time, please, not all at once. <laughs> hey, this is, thanks for having us. This is Matthew Gregory from Occam. Hi, Matt. Um, hi, this is uh, Renal Wadwa from Occam. And is that all we have? It is. First of all, let, let me just, by way of introduction, I mean, I've known Renal for, I don't know, lots of years. Uh, years. Yeah, okay. He's, he's one of the smart guys that I know. Far too smart for me anyway, let's put it that way. But I don't know Matt. Come on, Matt, tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I basically started my career uh, doing IoT back before IoT was even called IoT. So it's great to be back in the, in the space of IoT again uh, with Occam. But for the past 10 years, I've, I've been pushing the, the cloud-native uh, uh, application space uh, from the developer tools perspective. So uh, built a weather API that was, that was universally used across iPhones, uh, the Apple weather app used it, Facebook, et cetera. Uh, built that at Weather Underground, uh, then ended up at Heroku to build the, uh, again, in the developer tool space, built the add-on ecosystem there. And then when Satya took over at Microsoft to pivot Azure into an open source uh, infrastructure platform. I worked with all the uh, uh, pipeline tool companies, for everyone from GitHub to the CloudBees, the Jenkins, Docker, Mesospheres of the world. Um, and that is, that's my background. Okay. So in short, serious smarts in uh, the developer world is fair to say, right? Well, thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Guys, 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 guys. I heard about Occam maybe, I don't know, a week, 10 days ago from a conversation that I had with um, Tom Raftery um, of SAP. He was saying that you guys are doing some really cool stuff. He didn't actually mention that, that it was Reynolds that was part of the uh, part of the action. Um, he just simply said, you know, that you've you got to have a look at these guys. They're doing some interesting stuff around blockchain. My instant response was, oh, God, blockchain, come on. Uh, because at least as far as I can tell, just about everything around at the moment is POC rather than real live uh, product. Now, of course, I may well be wrong. I probably am wrong. But um, the, the, the point I'm making is is that blockchain has, has gone through an insane hype cycle. Um, and the question is, what's coming out the other side? So just explain in, in, in language that most people, I hope, would understand what it is that Occam's bringing to the table here so we can get a, get a, a context on this. Yeah, I think you have a really good insight there. And um, as it relates to Occam, we can dive into that uh, as, we, as the conversation unfolds. There's, there are a lot of things coming together at just the right time uh, that, that kind of give this the why now moment. But specifically to your question around blockchain, you know, uh, from our perspective, everything that people talk around cryptocurrencies is really taking all the oxygen out of the room. Because people start talking about token prices and trading, uh, you know, Bitcoin. Uh, and we view that very much as an application that sits on a blockchain environment. 
um, as kind of the first killer app. You know, basically, if you were looking for an analog in the uh, in the internet phase, you might you might uh, point to email and some of those things. You know, email was not the internet. There's so much more that it could do. Uh, you know, bringing e-commerce and connecting us uh, through mobile, et cetera. Uh, you know, blockchain uh, is a foundational piece of technology. Um, you know, and is and having said that, it's also just part of what we're doing at Occam. Uh, it is a we we have a problem service we're going after, and it fits into uh, one of the pieces uh, uh, in our in our stack. So um, it's not what we are; it's how we do it. Okay, what problem um, is? I'll add a little bit. Sorry, go on, Meryl. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Carry um, on. I don't so- want it to slow. Okay, so, um, and I think your question was exactly in the line of what what I was going to sort of jump into. So the problem we're trying to solve, um, it it kind of boils down to the backgrounds both Matt and I have had um, over the last um, decade or so. Um, I'll start with mine, but Matt can dial into his his background uh, context as well. But I personally was involved in building smart city IoT applications for the last five years or so. Um, and in that world, what I realized is that um, uh, the only vi- the only way to build secure and reliable IoT deployments um, is to build the whole stack yourself. Um, so you end up building. We ended up at Fiber. We ended up building um, the the hardware components. We ended up building the wa- low power wireless network. We ended up building the server side uh, software. And if you do all of this together in a synchronized manner, manner, you can deliver a secure IoT system and guarantee some kind of SLAs on that secure IoT system. Um, and that's great. However, it creates a silo uh, that that only you are part of, and it, it is very hard to do and costly to do and time-consuming to do. Um, and the reason you have to do the whole stack yourself is that to track the the life of a device, um, you have to be in control of um, every uh, every life event the device goes through. Uh, a simplest example being whether or not a device has a unique cryptographic key or not. And this is so foundational. If a device doesn't have a unique cryptographic key, I believe in 99% of IoT applications, that device is not reliable. And unfortunately, the state of the world is most IoT devices are still being deployed without cryptographic keys. Um, So uh, what blockchain brings to the table is a mechanism to still have a stacked environment that lots of vendors can enable in your solution stack, but do that uh, with a layer of trust in the middle. And that's what what blockchain's role really is. Um, And I'll let Matt talk about his context of how we're thinking about this problem of uh, uh, some people in IoT doing absolutely nothing security-wise, and some people doing everything themselves. And there's there there are gaps in terms of how those how those solutions come together. Marinal, just just so that we can understand this, because um, I mean I've I've read plenty about how insecure IoT devices are. Okay, sensors of all sorts, and you know we talk about our, our talking fridge, and I mean all sorts of nonsense, right? But why has that arisen? What 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 is it about the world of IoT that has led to this particular situation? Because I mean, I mean, technology technology 
you have to have security baked in. And I know that there are some companies that get it. An awful lot of companies don't. Only today I read something where somebody said, oh, um, you've got to build security into the foundation of the cloud, but actually not very many people have done it. It's like, whoops. What is it, what is it about IoT, though, in particular that is a problem? Is, is this just historical or what is it? Um, yeah, so there is, um, it is hard to do secure IoT. Um, and the scale at which you have to deal with it um, is is a scale that not most developers um, are often um, familiar with. So, um, it's, it's, it's a, like since I alluded to this problem of key management, um, so what key, what unique cryptographic keys deliver to you is signed, cryptographically signed data from devices. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the only way you can get a guarantee that when you send a firmware update, the firmware update actually applied. When you, when the device from a city street sends you a piece of data, you can prove that that data actually originated in the device and wasn't tampered with by a malicious entity or wasn't corrupted because of errors. So to, to, to your exact question, the reason a lot of it is insecure is that the tools to make things secure are not mature enough. Um, and so people fall in, people fall at the extreme end of the spectrum. Either most people do nothing, which is just a very, very large number of IoT systems but literally don't do anything security-wise. Um, and then there's the other extreme, which is this, the approach we took at Fiber, which is we ended up doing everything ourselves, right? And both of those solutions aren't um, ideal. Um, and Matt tells us really sort of really nice uh, progression about um, how in the cloud context we saw a very similar progression as well. Uh, Matt, do you want to do you want to tell that that aspect? Sure. <clears throat> you know what? Uh, from my perspective, with uh, when I look at uh, the environment that Renal just described in IoT, and juxtapose that against this explosion of innovation we had with companies that in, uh, embraced a cloud-native architecture ten years ago. Um, you know, the way I look at it is IoT is basically 10 years removed from what happened in cloud. You know, when, if you're uh, Airbnb or Uber uh, and you come to the part of the, the stack, you need to add communications or payments uh, to your application. You just add Stripe and Twilio and you move on. Uh, when you get fail whales at, at Twitter, I mean, that story is eight years old now. Uh, maybe 10, uh, you go uh, stand up Mesos and you move on um, and you scale your application. So uh, this, the, in the cloud native world, um, you just look at all of the tooling companies that came out of this uh, cloud research and, you know, the MongoDBs, that you, just, you can just go down this long, long list of open source based, uh, horizontally organized developer tools. Um, and, and that has led, that basically frees uh, developers uh, to both pick t- the, the tooling that's, that's correct for their application, but also allows uh, the people on the product side and the developers to focus on the business problem that uh, 
that application is trying to solve um, and not just get, get mired down in, in the, in the weeds of uh, standing up applications. You know, even today, the, the companies that didn't get on this train 10 years ago in the cloud space, um, you know, as at Microsoft, we, we're still talking to companies about what is your plan for uh, digital transformation? You know, how are you going to get to the cloud and how are you going to unlock the value of your business uh, by, by focusing on your application layer and not everything down in the middle, um, which kind of also juxtaposes uh, you can also juxtapose here the, what happened with cloud platforms uh, eight or nine years ago. The clear winner was the stack of AWS uh, plus all of the open source uh, commercial applications that were built on top of that infrastructure. You know, uh, Microsoft and Google ended up finding their way. But they didn't start off as infrastructure uh, in the cloud. They start both started off as platform as a service. Mm-hmm. And from my experience at Heroku, we were also platform as a service. But this, uh, um, the standard playbook that wasn't much of a secret at all is that you start with the platform as a service and you eventually move over to Amazon. So people would start with it um, would start with Heroku. Uh, to kind of rapid prototype, but then when you want to do something for real, you have to go to AWS. Um, and that is that the, these IOT platforms very much look like to me, uh, the platform as a service uh, attempts uh, by Azure, Google, Heroku, you know, back eight or nine years ago. Okay. So That's- I can, I can, pr- let me try and summarize this if I, if I may, uh, see if I've understood this. What you're basically saying is a couple of things. One is is that despite um, <coughs> despite the lessons of the past, when it comes to new worlds like IoT, it would appear that developers don't learn very much from from the mistakes of the past, right? Mm. Maybe you know that may be a bit harsh, but that's how it sounds. That's the first thing I'd say. The second thing is um, security just isn't sexy right and who wants to do it <laughs> i don't i don't know too many people who put their hands up and say hey let's do something really cool in security it doesn't happen right um is, is that a fair assessment of of, of the of, of the kind of environment in which people are, are faced at the moment would you say or have i been a bit over harsh or completely missed the boat um no i think i think you're you're right um, except I'll sort of qualify and the, the first point and say that developers there being platform developers. So a lot of what has happened is over the last five years, we've seen this uh, spurt of IoT platforms. There are literally thousands of them at this point. Um, and um, the problem is they are half solutions. They don't really solve, a true platform should solve problems for the user of the platform. And currently, if you're a builder of a IOT solution that is deploying, let's say 10,000 devices, you have to cobble together a bunch of tools before you get a solution. So you have to go buy um, pieces of hardware for, from vendor number one, you have to go buy your wireless network from vendor number two, you buy your mobile connectivity from vendor number three, you buy your server side so-called IOT platform from vendor number five, you then hire a system integrator to piecemeal this whole thing together. And then you get this cobbled thing that doesn't quite work together. And that doesn't quite work together is what we're seeing as uh, failures in security, 
failures in reliability, and just, you know, just sort of brittle, brittle solutions. Frankensoft. Um, <laughs> we call it yeah, Frankensoft. That, <laughs> that, that, that is a lot of what deployment, uh, real deployments look like. Right. Um, and it gets worse if you have, um, you know, I talked about like five different vendors to make one solution. Yeah. If you have hardware from five other vendors, this, this multiplies very, very quickly. So if you have five different types of devices they're deploying, it suddenly starts to look like 15 vendors involved in one solution, right? Ooh, gotcha. It gets crazy. And the problem gets really bad when uh, when an end customer, let's say, you know, you, Matt, um, um, Dennis, you and I have both sort of enterprise backgrounds. And enterprises, um, when the end customer finally says, okay, who is going to own the SLA on this thing? Yeah. Well, nobody wants to because because nobody has control over the overall picture, right? Gotcha. And like you said, you know, security isn't sexy. So by default, people focus on the use cases and the cool, hey, I automated use case one or use case two. Mm -hmm. And those are great, but the security aspect isn't, isn't um, immediately, uh, you know, top of mind for most people. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do here at Occam is basically um, build three pieces of functionality we think are missing in the IoT stack. Uh, the base functionality that we think are, is fundamentally missing is device identity. Um, the second layer is device trust. And the third layer is interoperability. So we're focused on these three problems and we want to be a horizontal, very, very thin horizontal slice in someone's IoT stack that solves these three problems, device identity, device trust, and device interoperability uh, foundationally. And then we want to let all the other problems be things other people solve. But we think that if we can solve these three um, pieces, we can take the ecosystem forward and, and eliminate some of these, um, you know, uh, some of these uh, repeating problems we're seeing across a bunch of solutions. Okay, so how far have you got with it? Uh, fantastic. So we open sourced on Thursday um, a open source developer SDK um, on, off, on GitHub. Um, it allows you to build uh, these applications that can, or, or basically us de deliver unique identities to your device. That's the first functionality we've, uh, we've uh, open sourced. Mm -hmm. um, and once you have unique identity to uh, assign to every device, then you can sign what is called verifiable claims or signed claims that the device produces as data. So all device data in our system is always cryptographically signed, uh, which means that all data is attributable to its source um, in a mathematical way. Um, and so that's one piece we've, we've uh, delivered so far. And the other piece we've done is back in October, we open sourced a test network of our blockchain network and that network is still live and it's, it's what developers can develop their applications against. Um, so, so these are the two components. There's a, uh, developer toolkit called the SDK. And then there's a, uh, network that this SDK interacts with, um, as developers develop their application. A lot of the work we've done is based around a bunch of open standards or in development standards under the W3C. Um, I'll, I'll highlight a few of them. Uh, one is called DID or decentralized identifiers 
um, and the other one is called verifiable claims. Um, and these two standards um, are very, very interesting because what they do is they decentralize um, identity management of devices or it, it, of everything, actually. Uh, we're focused on device identity, but as part of the decentralized identity foundation, there are um, other companies uh, that are focused on people identity, asset identity, et cetera. Um, and however, what's cool about uh, the standard is that it uh, decentralizes the creation of an identity. So you don't have to go to uh, a specific vendor to get issued an identity. Instead, uh, a new device can generate its own identity by generating a cryptographic key pair and then register itself to a decentralized infrastructure like a blockchain, uh, in this particular case, Occam's blockchain. And when this is done, um, you get a... Uh, uh, you get all the benefits of traditional public key infrastructure where you're managing the life cycle of keys. You can do key rotation, uh, et cetera. And you get this really, really secure, reliable um, uh, identity that is unique uh, to that device. Um, and then um, based on that identity, you can start to build up metadata that enables interoperability not only between devices, but between devices and applications, between um, two different blockchains, between two different uh, systems. So one can be a blockchain, one can be an enterprise system like Active Directory. Um, all of those interoperability scenarios sort of get unlocked. So we've delivered this identity layer um, um, in our release on Thursday of last week. Um, uh, I will also add the caveat that all of this is early release. We're still in development very much, um, but we thought that open sourcing it was important for us to um, grow a community around what we're doing. Okay. So I was going to ask you, first of all, why open source? Because it sounds to me as though you're building something, albeit out of uh, some standard technologies, at the end of the day is going to have a, a fairly significant secret source component that presumably you're going to want to monetize at some stage. Uh, so, so why open source at this point in time? Is, just give me some insight there. Yeah, um, I mean, this goes back to what I was talking about uh, around cloud native and all of the open source projects that have just created all of this value at the application layer. Right. Um, and there are all sorts of successful companies uh, Cloudera, Hortonworks, et cetera, um, GitHub, that, uh, that have built uh, thriving businesses on top of uh, open source technology. Mm -hmm. Our playbook is uh, you know, exactly the same as those. At the end of the day, enterprises still, do, still need uh, enterprise products. Um, and uh, whether it's a, uh, and on top of it, uh, a phone number to call or a neck to ring, whichever uh, uh, pers perspective you want there. Um, there are all sorts of uh, 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 products uh, in our pipeline um, uh, that we, we will roll out uh, as time goes on. But, um, you know, it's just, in my opinion, opens the, 
building developer tools uh, in open source is uh, is at this point, uh, from a cloud native perspective, uh, a rule and not an exception. Okay. Let me um, let I'll, I'll add some, a little bit of color to that, Dennis. Uh, so I, I also think from a security standpoint, being open source is an incredibly good uh, strategy because you get a lot more eyes on infrastructure that is core to security mm. uh, than you can within a, a, a company. And so that brings actual more quality. And there are success stories in open source, like uh, HashiCorp comes to mind. And they've done a great job building really, really secure cloud infrastructure tools mm. uh, while being a small company, but dealing at ma infrastructure massive scale because they've engaged with the community and enabled others to to innovate on their core product which is what we want to do okay let me just let me just test that a little bit further because it's only a few days ago that we saw um amazon aws um issue or churn out what is effectively an older version of mongodb and effectively at least in some people's minds scuttle um mongodb's um business model for the future right and and and, the, and that theory is based upon the fact that aws itself has massive scale and itself can devote very significant resources to solving a very specific problem so you know given the given the the type of problem that you're endeavoring to solve and i i do understand that it's foundational and i do understand that it's difficult um and therefore attractive to a certain type uh, class of person what is to stop any of the very large commercial organizations? And I'm thinking, I am thinking about AWS just coming in and saying, you know what, we can do better. I mean, it's, I mean, there must be, a, there must be a significant risk there or, or am I, or am I completely mis, misunderstanding it? Yeah. You've, you've laid a bear trap for us with that, uh, <laughs> that question. You know, the, <clears throat> for any, any of the listeners that are not, uh, uh, maybe uh, have been paying attention to the uh, the tug of war between the open source community and AWS. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's there's plenty to go read uh, after this on that topic. Sure. Um, and I guess the um, you know with open source, it, it you just have to believe in community and the goodness of of people and everyone trying to work together to solve uh, these common pain points, knowing that together we can all go far, further. Mm. Um, you know, yeah, to, to plug uh, uh, my old team at Microsoft, um, you know, the, the open source, uh, the people that are working at open source at Microsoft uh, definitely embrace a, a, a community first mm. uh, perspective. Um, but at the same time, there are pressures at these bigger companies to launch products and they have enterprise customers that are asking for particular features. It, um, and, you know, that, that'll that just be, uh, I think, the nature of the industry. Um, no, it's but, fair enough. It's we, fair enough. And, and also, I think that the um, the... My other perspective is that it's while uh, exciting topic to talk about, particularly I could go again back to my um, stick in the mud that I have around um, um, the, this push in cloud native. Um, it, it's actually very difficult to find people that were big losers in that entire trend. Um, right. There's just so much greenfield and so much uh, area to play. 
in. Um, you know, there's just, there's just too much work for everyone to go do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, we, we have a long time before we have to go worry about, um, people eating each other's lunch and open source IOT. It hasn't even really gotten going yet. No, that's fair. That's, that's, that's fair enough. But, um, you know, it's a question that I, I, I need to ask because when I'm thinking about the, these kinds of propositions from the, from the buyer perspective, you know, we, we have unquestionably seen an appetite from enterprise buyers to come to smaller companies, more innovative companies, and spend money with them uh, to discover ways of solving problems that might not be the purview of the Accentures of this world, at least not today, right? Um, but, at the, but at the end of the day, it's a natural thing for enterprises in particular to want to have fewer throats to choke rather than many throats to choke. Now, it may well be, and given what you're saying about the maturity of the industry, that you know there just isn't there just that that just isn't going to play out too well anytime soon, and therefore companies like yours have a, a genuine opportunity to to both develop and thrive in in a very very difficult area but it, it's one of those questions inevitably that be, that that consultants and people like myself tend to tend to ask and so mm, you know because at the end of the day we want to know that you guys are going to be around in 5 10 15 years time because we're going to be relying upon you aren't we and especially when we're talking about problems of this nature at least that's that's how we tend to see the, see the world maybe it's a little bit old-fashioned in that sense but you know in the in in the enterprise space yes there is appetite for innovation but no there isn't appetite for undue risk and that's that's kind of uh, kind of my my perspective on that but um you know well well, so i can actually lean in there too uh again this is uh me coming at this from a microsoft perspective and i Google and Amazon are both very good at doing this as well. Um, it, the, those, the big cloud providers have done a very good job of uh, creating sales channels for smaller open source companies. Um, they have strong go, go-to-market actions and co-sell motions that they do with their vendors. Sure. Um, and, uh, and, and on top of that, if you look at, uh, you know, you take a, a commercialized open source project, uh, the, the core contributors of those projects are congregated into one, if not two or three companies that are really driving them innovation forward in those projects. So at the end of the day, uh, if you want to work uh, with the people that are smartest about any particular open source technology, you want to go to the, the, the smaller open source vendors um, uh, and work with them, even though it might be through, you know, if, if your master account is through uh, AWS or, or Microsoft, you're still coming in through that channel. You're using that as a channel for sales and uh, maybe your macro level support, but you're mm-hmm. still using uh, the, pro- the, the uh, enterprise products of those open source companies. So okay. um, you have to give it to the big companies uh, to create the, uh, the sales channel for uh, everyone in the open source space. Okay, right. Look, we um, don't. We don't. I'll have, also add. Sorry, add, sorry Marino. Oh, I was just. Good. I was just going to say. Um, according to my clock, we we don't have an awful lot of time left on this call because we're on a restricted uh, situation. But um, Marino, if, if you've got something more to say, then please. I just want to. I just want to wrap up with something that I hope will be very positive for you guys. Go on. 
Wow, fantastic. My final thought was that, you know, uh, especially in a space like IoT, which kind of spans all the way down to physically distributed hardware, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the natural distributedness of the system we're building um, uh, uh, in, in a blockchain-like a setup, it's naturally distributed infrastructure. And so as we develop and deploy, I think what will end up happening is that we will have stakeholders um, across a varied customer base that will run their own parts of the network in Mm -hmm. different infrastructure vendors. So some of them may be running in Microsoft Azure, some of them may be running in AWS, some of them running in, in Google, some of them in private data centers. And what that will create is this sort of natural the decentralized fabric uh, just because IOT in itself is distributed especially geographically um, that I think I think that what would be in, in the interest of a lot of cloud vendors would be to to enable that infrastructure via by being the underlying you know machine providers or you know infrastructure providers for the for all of those customers um, rather than try and do the whole system themselves, because, uh, again, we're working in a multi-party ecosystem and the whole goal is uh, to get everybody to collaborate rather than create silos. Okay. So, you got it out the door. It's sat on, I presume it's sat on GitHub. Um, what's the reception been like? Uh, it's been fantastic, actually. Um, you know, uh, we, uh, we got our first open source pull request um, yesterday from somebody we, who doesn't work for us, uh, which to me was like a big, uh, win. Uh, we were, we weren't, you know, hundred percent that that will start happening. Uh, we're looking for more people to come contribute. We've, uh, we've got an open source Slack channel where a lot of people have joined in. We've got, um, um, our GitHub is seeing a lot of action. Uh, we're also seeing conversations on Twitter. Um, I was at a, um, at a meetup presenting yesterday and the reception there was very positive. Uh, so people, people deeply, especially in the IOT community relate to this problem. They understand their customers want secure devices, especially over the last couple of years, as a lot of attacks have come into, um, uh, have been highlighted. Uh, and so they understand they have to deliver this. They don't have the tools to deliver it easily. Um, and so, so the response has been, um, thankfully very positive. Okay. Then guys. Um, so what's next? Uh, well, we've, um, uh, we've open sourced the, the release where we're now going to carry on our development in that open source repository, um, and keep adding features. We are looking for, uh, people with interesting use cases. Um, that want to have reliable uh, applications and reliable IoT systems, um, and and you know are dealing with mission critical scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have such a use case, come give us a call and uh, uh, let's discuss um, how to how to how we could enable something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said, that um, you know, I think it was that that business of of secure and reliable. Um, identity that got Tom Raftery excited about this uh, thing. And of course, well, you and I both know SAP has got many, many customers that are doing things in the IoT space. So, you know, maybe those guys will give you a call if they haven't done already. What do you think? That would be, that would be fantastic. <laughs> and we're, we're eager and waiting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Reynold, 
this is this is a topic which um, doesn't get discussed very often. Obviously, um, you know, going back to the top of the conversation, you know, who cares about security? Well, everybody cares about it. Who wants to deal with it? Not many hands go up. So, I, you know, I certainly, I certainly take my hat off to you for doing for doing that. Um, maybe we need to be more. Um, proactive in talking about these things so that the, these conversations can continue. Does that, does that make sense to you? I guess it does, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I'm, I'm very much the flag bearer. I believe a lot of, uh, a lot is missing before this becomes a mature, um, a mature stack. And we can finally get to a lot of the, the, you know, the autonomous systems that we've all dreamt up. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, I think a lot more conversation about this topic is, is certainly warranted and I'm happy to discuss it. Anybody wants to reach out to me sure. um, and talk about this topic. Yeah, and I, th- I think that you're, you guys and, and are in a very unique position because, well, at least in my experience anyway, some of the best development that I've ever seen comes from those who had a niche that they couldn't scratch. And just to go back to the beginning of the conversation, you were saying that, you know, when you were, when you were working at um, Fibre, you know, you had to do all this stuff for yourself and that was a, a big, big expensive task. And now what you're saying is is, you know what, we now have the tools, we now have the capability, let's just build this thing and make it available to everybody. And then I'll, I can, I can die a happy, well, maybe not die, but I, I can go and have lunch a happy guy. Does that make, does that sound about right? Exactly. Matt, any final thoughts? No, that's all I have for today. Thanks for having us. Okay. Guys, listen, Thanks for doing this, Dan. no, no worries at all. Listen, I'd like to follow up on this. What do you say? 90 days, 100 days, 120 days? What would you say, given that you've got a heck of a lot of um, development on your, pla- on your plate? What, do you, what, what would you say? Well, 90, 90 sounds great. Okay. Let's do 90 days. Okay, let's put that in the calendar, and we'll see what happens next. Okay, guys, thanks very much for your time. It's been a tremendous conversation. This is Den at Diginomica, and you're going to get some more grungy music. 